Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode, number 378, we are going into the next part of our Ages and Stages series, The Elementary Years, with Dr. Meg Meeker. What forms a child's identity, what gives them self-esteem, is conversations they had with their parents, a sentence here or a sentence there. Dr. Meeker is a mom. She's also been a practicing pediatrician for over 30 years. And so she comes to us today with lots of wisdom and perspective and advice when it comes to helping raise elementary age kids. She's going to encourage us to let them slow down and grow in self-esteem and empathy. We're going to cover a range of topics from identity formation to sensory issues to extracurricular activities. But I also want to give a caveat that because this episode is more advice-like than I usually do, if you are a mom and you're listening and something Dr. Meeker says pricks your heart and you feel discomfort or maybe even guilt, I want to encourage you to, one, bring those things to God because we know that he cares more about you being surrendered to him, who is a good God, than to your keeping of a quote-unquote good mom formula, which doesn't exist. And so we're going to ask God, hey, why why am I feeling this? Is this from you or is this not from you? And then maybe even have a conversation with a trusted friend on what was going on in you because we can't know every nuance of your situation. I know that God gave you your kids for a reason and that you are being led by his spirit. And so trust that first. just wanted to say that. All right, let's get right to it. Here we go. Dr. Meg Meeker, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I love being here. We have been alongside each other in the podcast world for a while now. Tell people about your show. When did you get started with your podcast? Let's see. My podcast is called Parenting Great Kids. And I like saying that because, you know, every child has greatness in there. I've been practicing pediatrics for 32 years. I've never met a child I didn't like. You know, I can kind of see right inside them. And boy, how long has my podcast been going? Maybe six years, five or six years. A a while. Yeah. A while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you've been in practice as a pediatrician for how long? Are you still practicing? I am. 32 years. 32 years. It's a long time. But I, when yeah. you said that, I was yeah. like, did you stop or you're just, you're still, you still, still have going. patience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Most of the work that I do is writing and speaking, but I'm still in my office. I can't give up my patience. Yeah. I just can't. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it also helps keep what you're writing about and talking about relevant because the generations are changing so quickly. They are. Speaking of that, we're doing this ages and stages series and we're right here in this elementary stage. And I don't know if it was someone, an older mom who told me, a mom older than me who told me, or I got this idea somehow, I thought it would be the easy breezy stage. And like you and I just said, like doesn't exist. Challenges come up. And so I'd love for you to talk us through some of these challenges, give us some guiding tips and talk, talk me through it. So what have you found to be true of this stage overall? I kind of divide elementary into early elementary and then mid elementary. And first of all, I find that 
kids who start kindergarten, it's a very, very difficult transition for kids. Mm -hmm. And I always warn mothers, regardless of how long your child's been in daycare or uh, preschool, that going to kindergarten full days, five days in a row is really hard for kids. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's they can do it, it's fine, but it's exhausting. And what happens usually is about two months into kindergarten, we see this meltdown in kids. I call it the kindergarten syndrome because kids are so tired because they work so hard in kindergarten to pay attention and to be good. And they just sort of start to lose it. They get so, so tired. And usually it's in October, parents will come in and go, what happened to my child? She's mean, she's rude, she's throwing things, and that's not like her. And I said, you know, settle down, it's just the kindergarten syndrome, so ride with her, she'll be okay. And make sure when she comes home, maybe she has some naps at, you know, four in the afternoon, that's okay. But then you, you get through kindergarten, and first grade comes along, and that's really when kids start to nail down and start to work. Now in kindergarten, unfortunately, a lot of kids kids are pressured to have to read. Mm. I am not a fan of this. It's yeah. too much for kids. We put too much pressure on them, particularly boys, because boys will often learn to read later than girls. And when in kindergarten and first grade, they begin to feel behind they live with this sense that there's something wrong with me. I'm not smart. I can't mm. learn. And unfortunately, there's some teachers that come up. This happened to my son. will come along halfway for, through first grade and go, oh, you know, it's just not keeping up. You need to get him tutoring. And I was like, okay, I didn't know. There was nothing wrong. He just was a late mature. Yeah. So in first and second grade, just watch your kids very carefully. The girls usually will excel beyond the boys, but boys by third grade will catch up. And so just be careful that your child doesn't get labeled. Mm -hmm. You know, a yeah. lot of teachers as kids are getting used to the first and second grade will give parents um, feedback. And a lot of the feedback they get in the first and second grade is because boys aren't used to sitting at a desk and coloring in the lines and the girls are. I get these parents coming in so say, you know, the teacher says my son has ADD. What am I going to do? So, well, let's just hold on before we make a diagnosis or put a label on him. Let's go slowly. Let's do some testing. I ask a lot of questions. I have parents and teachers bring back their questionnaires to me. And usually I find it really isn't an ADD situation. I mean, of course they do have it. But a lot of times it's kids just trying to figure their way. You know, maybe they're trying to get attention from boys. or Because usually, usually the boys who are hyperactive, sometimes girls can't uh, pay attention as well. But so you kind of really just have to ride with your kids through those early years and, you know, see how they're adjusting and see if, you know, why they're having a hard time in school bouncing around. Hmm. I'm smiling because you're describing. I, mean, I have <laughs> four boys. boys. Yeah. I yeah. have four boys. I am so thankful that we live in a city with lots of educational options and one option that kindergarten could be just two days a week or three mornings it's and, so they, smart. Don't, and so they don't smart. start reading until first grade, but they start with phonics and it's wonderful. 
And that my boys had summer birthdays and all with my oldest, he was, he's August 22nd. And I was like, should we hold him back? Should we go ahead? And my husband, and this was so helpful to me to just know and have it decided. He said, if he'd been born a week later, we wouldn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So we're going to wait. We're going to, and so we found a class for kids who have summer birthdays. It's a kindergarten that was only a couple mornings, but I feel like we quote unquote lucked out that these were options and that my boys were able to have that success you're talking about at those young ages and be a full year older. I get that question a lot from parents. Like, should I hold back? Should I not? What are your thoughts on if it's an option? I know some States you don't have an option or some countries, my friend, my sister-in-law in England told me it's not an option there. But yeah. I always encourage parents to hold them back, particularly boys. And here's why. Boys are late bloomers, typically. Boys, if they're a little bit behind and they're told first or second grade that they can't learn well, that sticks with them forever. Yeah. You know, you will have 20-some-year-olds going to get jobs and they'll say, well, you know, I was always slow in school. Well, you weren't slow in school. You just maybe were in the wrong class. Also, if you look at the countries who do the best as far as scores on different kinds of tests, particularly standardized tests, they're in Scandinavia. And in Scandinavia, hmm. they don't start formal learning till the kids are seven. Wow. Because we need to let kids mature a little bit. You know, in the U.S., we push, 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 push. We push them into athletics. We push them into gymnastics and all these extracurricular activities. And then we push them in school. It's too much for kids. Yeah. Let them develop at their own rate. It's also important for boys as well, not just for their self-esteem, but think about this in sports in high school. If your son you know, wants to play baseball, for instance, and he's on the younger side in the freshman class, he may be sort of put a level below, maybe because of his size, maybe because of his ability. And then again, this poor child gets slammed with, oh, and by the way, you can't play baseball either. Yeah. And so it's nice for boys to have that maturity. I can't tell you how many parents contact me and say, I have a 15-year-old boy, he's in high school, he won't study, he's just not motivated, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> I say, that sounds about wait, right. yeah. wait, because yeah. you can't make another person motivated. Nope. So I always feel with boys, wait. Now, girls can be a little different. Some girls who tend to develop faster get bored in classes where they're, they're held back. So... In general, I hold a boy back, but as far as girls, you just have to take the personality and their development into consideration. And I always feel like kids are going to have a challenge at some point, but what some of my mom friends have done is they blame the not holding back for the problem. And if oh, you yeah. take that out of the equation, they're still going to maybe have a challenge, but you don't right. blame that exactly. no, anymore. No, it's like you no, always are looking no. for what, how was I the cause of this problem? You're like all that mom guilt. Yeah. Like, oh, we'll mothers are mothers are responsible for everything. Right. I, rem I remember <laughs> teaching our, our son to ski and if he'd fall, it's your fault, mom. You know, teach <laughs> it's life, yeah. you know, it's life. Blame and shame yeah. for the boys. That's what Blame David Thomas shame. told me. He's like, that's what they do. Blame and shame. I have found the magical unicorn of beauty products, and that is with Thrive 
cosmetics. What I love is not only are they great products, have you ever bought something that you believe in the cause, but it's not good? Well, these are actually really great products, and I'll tell you more in a second. They also don't have any of the chemicals. They're 100% vegan and cruelty-free, and it's called Thrive Cosmetics for a reason because they support organizations that help communities thrive. And so what I love is their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. This product, not only, I mean, I think it's great, but it has 20,000 five-star reviews. It makes my lashes longer and I don't have to deal with clumping or smudging. It creates a tube around each lash and so they just, the mascara slides right off with warm water and a washcloth. I don't even have to use soap and so my eyelashes aren't breaking. I also love that part of their giving back is over 300 giving partners they have. The whole company was started because of a friendship and the product developer losing her friend to cancer. And so as a friend of many women this year who are fighting cancer, I love that this is bigger than beauty, like that this product is going and giving back to help those women fight cancer. So if you want to try Thrive Cosmetics for yourself, you can get 15% off your first order when you go to thrivecosmetics.com slash DMA. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash DMA. You're going to get 15% off your first order. Okay, so let's go to what you said about the activities, Mm -hmm. because I think in this age, it can be that feeling of I need to sign them up for this or they'll get behind or everybody else is doing it. Three sports a kid, you know what I mean? Or and tutoring and all the extra things with having four children. I didn't have that as an option. Like I just couldn't financially or physically be at all the places. So we had to narrow it down and and I don't feel like my boys suffered for it. I mean, we're still, they're not grown yet, but I'm just curious your thoughts, like as you're advising parents and they're coming in and wondering, you know, their kids are stressed or anxious or whatever, what advice do you give them on activities? Well, here was my uh, rule with our kids. They got one activity per semester outside of school because we had four kids to one. And the reason was this fatigue, pressure. Kids need downtime. They need time home with us. Just sitting at the kitchen table, you know, even watching a little television for a little bit of time, but just playing. Kids can't handle it. They need downtime and chill time. And we're not affording our kids that. And if we're really want to look at the reason we're signing our kids up for these things, it's parent peer pressure. Yeah, We can't stand that our son would be doing less than our friend's son because we want our son to be as competitive as you will as, as our friend's sons. And that's wrong. We are giving our kids all of these opportunities, not because of their need, but our need. And that's why I ask mothers, look hard into your heart. Why are you doing this? Because the truth of the matter is when kids are 25 or 35, the things that they're going to remember about growing up aren't how many sports they did. 
because they're not going to go to college and do this anyway. You know, <laughs> yeah, very even small. In high school, they're not. Very they're small not. They're numbers. not. Gonna, yeah. But yeah. what what forms a child's identity? What gives them self esteem? is conversations they had with their parents, yeah. a sentence here or a sentence there. I mean, think back about it. You know, the things that changed the trajectory of my life were my parents yeah. and spending enough time with my parents. Yeah. And kids need more time with their parents and less time with their sports and everything. And every time we sign our, our child up for a sport, we're surrendering our time with them. And we better make sure it's worth it. And you know what? It's not worth it. Yeah. It's just not worth it because, you know, they just need to be with us as far as identity formation and security and really emotional stability. Yeah. I saw someone post busy stands for because you said yes. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Because, because not, yes. I don't just think the kids need the downtime. I need the downtime. You need the downtime. I'm already feeling like I'm running ragged to the start of this year. And two of my boys aren't even doing any sports. <laughs> I have two. And the other two are just doing one sport each as part of school. And yeah. so yeah. I just, I physically can't, I need a slower you can't do pace. It. And, and it's a, and it's a good thing. You can't do it I because can't. you're, and, and let me tell you something. Kids don't want it. Mm. I can't tell you how many freshmen, sophomores in high school who walk into me and say, I can't do it anymore. My parents are pushing me. Kids see what's going on. Yeah. We want our kids to, you know, be the stars so we look like the best parents. Kids mm. get that and they don't want to be used. They don't want to be used as our trophy so that we can show off. And so many will come in and they'll be outstanding in something. I had a kid that was going to go to, a, you know, junior Olympics in downhill skiing. And she said, sophomore year, I'm done. I'm not going to do it. And her parents were furious because they put so much money into her skiing. And they were pushing her to stay with it. I said, you got to stop it. Yeah. You know, th this kid doesn't want to do it. And it's going to backfire. So you know, if we don't, if we're not letting a child lead in their interests for extracurricular activities, that means we're going to push, it will backfire. And as I said, kids recognize, even at an early age, what we're really trying to do and what our motives are. So let's swing to the other extreme where you have the really, really shy kind of maybe pulled away socially from a friend group and the parents are concerned about their social, not because they don't have, you know, they're not the most popular kid, but really they are alone a lot, whether it's with mm -hmm. video games or whether it's home by themselves. At what point does it, or how does a parent motivate at, at that age, at the elementary years to choose something? Like you said, even if it's one activity, do you dictate that they need to choose an activity or, you know what I'm saying? Like belonging, yeah. I feel like part of the team sports, what's great if your goal isn't to become scholarship winner or Olympian is belonging like that. I am part of this team is huge. And to get kids through adolescence with that, where they don't choose some more harmful groups, I think is helpful. So how do we kind of foster that? I think that we have to recognize that they're shy kids and that's who they are. And we can't push them to be otherwise. I was one of those kids. Yeah. I, more introverted. I, 
introverted. I like to read. I like to just be home. And there's a wonderful book called Quiet that yes. it Susan is Susan Kane. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And and so I think that we have to embrace who our child is. Mm-hmm. That said, you don't want them alone all the time. They're never going to be the life of the party. So what I encourage parents to do is say, okay, you know, what are you interested? Pick one of two things. Would you like to do gymnastics or would you like to do piano? Because at this age, you have to do something. So you don't say this is what you're going to do. You're really good at have them, give them two or three options and say, this is what I'd like you to do. Don't say it. Say you need to do one of these things because you don't have any friends and you've got (laughs) to learn to engage with people. Uh, that won't work because she's no. never well, going to want to Yeah, that labels all over. Yeah, yeah. All over. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. other thing that's important is you do some work to maybe find a child that you can come over to your house. Because kids like this need one friend, maybe two. They're not going to be in a pack. And you know what? That's a good thing. Yeah. You don't necessarily want them running around in a pack. So you know, tell them they have to do just one thing, you know, outside of school and have them pick it and then work to find one of your friends or somebody that will allow her daughter to come over and play with your daughter, whatever. But don't push it too early. It will come, but just sort of nurture that and she'll come around. Mm-hmm. Or, he, or he, or he. Yeah, no, I have the he. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I got some questions from listeners. So I thought we could dig into some of these in our last part of our time. Um, one is on teaching empathy. And I that is hard. Like I feel like some kids are just born and naturally empathic, empathetic. That's right. Empathetic. <laughs> yeah. um, and some aren't. Exactly. And no matter how much teaching, I'm like, I cannot get you to see from their perspective. Yeah, you can't. Now, remember, some kids' empathy comes more naturally. Sometimes some kids need to develop it. Okay. You know, and they'll develop it later in life. But one of the best ways to do it is show it yourself and bring your child along. For instance, yeah. find a neighbor who needs their um, their lawn cut, go to a soup kitchen, uh, you know, there's so many service projects you can have. And don't say you need to do this because you need to, to be nice to people. You say, you say, let's do this because I know that so-and-so needs some help and I need your help to do it. And they go with you. So they see empathy. That's the best way they're going to learn it. But you're absolutely right. Some kids are slow to get it, but it doesn't mean they're not going to get it. Yeah. It's, it's it. Just a lack of, you know, like emotional quotient people talk about. There's IQ and there's emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of lacking that. And sometimes it's maturity. Okay. It really is cognitive maturity. They they really can't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't see life from another person's perspective, you know, and, and they'll do something and somebody will cry and they'll go, I don't understand why that person's crying. They cannot put themselves in another person's shoes. Yeah. And that's a complex cognitive thing to be able to do. They see life from their perspective. Their life is they're very self-centered. And that's the way it's supposed to be all the way through junior high and into high school. So it's really hard for them to think about life as another person Hmm. from their perspective. So no matter how many times you're trying and trying and trying and repeating, they may be unable it's, it's, it's kind of like saying, be kind. 
what's wrong with you? You have to be kind. Well, that doesn't work. Oh, no, I've you tried know? that. I've yeah. tried that. It doesn't yeah. work. No, it, it doesn't work. And periodically, if, it, you know, if one of your kids whaps the other kid on the head and say, do you think that was a nice thing to do? No. Do you think that hurt your brother? I don't know, but he's being such a jerk to me. You say it hurt him. And that's where you begin, but you don't go into more than that. And um, so that's where you start. And the annoying thing, how they annoy each other. I mean, we're now we're into siblings, but like, how do you help them? I don't even know. It just feels like they're constantly annoyed. Yeah. And they're so young. You want to talk about annoying? Just wait. Like life gets (laughs) more annoying. Exactly. Is this a new phenomenon that kids, I don't remember being so annoyed all the time. Yeah, I think that kids are easily frustrated, more frustrated now than they used to be because we have an immediate gratification culture. You know, I say this and you don't do it right away. (sighs) What's wrong with you? You know, I was never that way with my parents. So kids are more easily uh, annoyed because they don't get something immediately. So Mm. teaching patience is a really important thing. And Mm. even if you have to, you know, you're giving your child cereal, mom, where's my cereal? You know, you need to learn patience. So then you wait five minutes before you give the child his cereal, even things like that to teach a child to wait. And I think kids expectations of people around them, that people are going to just jump when they do things, you know, that isn't life. Kids tend to show their annoyance more at home with siblings and their moms, not necessarily their dads, than they do in public. And that's okay because they let down at home. But I really think that teaching them respect for another person and patience and talking differently when you're annoyed, it's okay, but you can't yell at mom, you can't yell at your sister, you can't yell at your brother. That's the way it is. It's okay to be annoyed and be frustrated. And when they look annoyed, use the word frustrated. Yeah. Because annoyance has a connotation that you're not a very nice kid. And that's the way we feel towards our kid when they act really not very nice. Mm -hmm. But if you work on teaching them when you're frustrated, you don't say nasty things and then teaching them patience. Yeah. And part of it goes to like one of mine in particular has sensory issues and struggles with regulation. And so getting dysregulated happens very easily. Getting back into regulation is very difficult. Yeah. And what you have to do again, what you have to do, that takes a lot of patience on your part and the child's part because something bothers them immediately and they get very upset and that spirals out of control. If you don't say, okay, okay, let's just wait this out. And then graduate over time because if they have a sensory issue, that's going to take time to get better. It's not going to get better in a month. No. I mean, I, I've seen already developmentally it change and grow. And, and I always encourage moms of like five, six, seven year olds in that stage, it's hard and you have to advocate to teachers and you have to learn about it a lot because it does impact the school. You really do. Because the worst thing you can do is stop it. Put that shirt on. If the shirt's too tight, stop it. What's wrong with you? And people will do that. You know, stop it. Why can't you have your hair combed? Well, you know, yeah, you absolutely, you you don't want to show the child that you feel sorry for them, but at the same time, you can't bully them out of it. The only way you can get them out of it is to be patient and work with them 
and I mean, that's a whole nother show, but how to desensitize, that's a whole nother show. We're we're going to do it too. There's a gal I know who's doing a whole um, course on kids with sensory things. And so we'll be back with that y'all. Great. It may still be close to 100 degrees here in Texas, but I'm holding on to hope that fall is coming and with it, football and changing leaves and fire pits and my fall wardrobe, which includes my favorite shoes from Rothy's, my sneakers and my flats, my point, the point flat, uh, they're awesome. They're in a wildcat print, so that animal print that is a basic for me, I can wear it with anything, and it looks great. I Also, it's super comfortable. I don't have to worry about wearing socks because, one, they always show, right? Like, you always find these socks and they show. Well, with the point, I don't have to wear socks because I can throw my Rothy's in the washing machine, and they look and smell a whole lot better afterwards and they last like I have probably washed them I don't even know like five or six times and they look brand new I also know it's going to be good for the planet because with Rothy's they've repurposed millions of single-use water bottles plastic bottles I mean into their signature thread that goes into every single one of their products so if you want to find your new favorite shoes get ready to be asked are those Rothy's and get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash DMA. That's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash DMA. I know I've told you all about Thrive Market, how I love being able to find high quality, affordable grocery items all in one place. But what I loved in my last order from Thrive Market is I discovered some new products. And I think that's what's great is when you search that you're going to present you with some of the best options available. I needed, (laughs) I know this is really interesting, but I needed laundry detergent. And I like when my clothes smell good, but I don't want all the chemicals. So through Thrive Market, I bought Zum Clean Laundry Soap. It is the frankincense and myrrh flavor. Flavor. It's essential oils, but every time I do my boys' laundry, which is daily, multiple times a day, it makes me so much happier because they don't smell disgusting. I also bought Molly Suds Oxygen Whitener, so it's a way to whiten the clothes without all the chemicals. And I also discovered these grass-fed beef kids snack sticks that my son loves. He's taking, not only wanting it for breakfast, but taking it to school for a snack time. Big hit, all thanks to Thrive Market. So if you wanna check it out, I have a deal for you just as a Don't Mom Alone listener, um, and you can start searching by whatever diet or product you're looking for, low sugar, keto, gluten-free, whatever you wanna look for, and you're gonna know that you're gonna save money as a Thrive Market community member, you're also going to help someone else because every, for every member, you're sponsoring a family in need. So get convenient, high-quality, affordable groceries delivered with Thrive Market. Join Thrive Market today and get $80 in free groceries. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash DMA to get $80 in free groceries. That's thrivemarket.com slash DMA. Okay, so I this is a question. I don't know quite what the question is. It says they have a first grade boy who's influenced, uh, being influenced from older kids, and that isn't 
a very positive influence. So I think we have the mixing of the grade levels. And so I, we have that already in our, just with siblings, but if you don't have the older siblings, how do you manage that? Well, that's hard. Uh, it is hard. I would advocate for removing that child as much as you can from the older kids, because no matter what, a younger child who's with an older child is always going to want to imitate the older child because that child's cool. You will see the pecking order in cousin groups. You know, the five-year-old always wants to be friends with a six-year-old. The four-year-old always wants to be friends with a five-year-old. So that natural sense of adoration and wanting to emulate that person will always be there. Yeah. So to whatever degree you can to remove them from that group, that's really important. If it's a sibling group, then you have to work with the older kid. You have to say, look, when your younger brother's around, you can't watch this television show. When your younger brother's around, you can't you know, say these words, use this tone or whatever. Um, but if it's in a school situation, then you have to appeal to the teacher and then you have to you know, it's, it's really hard to talk to the child about, you know, what is the older kid saying? What is the older kid seeing? What is the older kid doing? Um, and then work that through. But that's a really hard dynamic to break. It's like if you were to do a podcast with the best podcaster in the world, you would be a little intimidated. I would. I would. <laughs> and, yes. Yeah. And you would want to see what they're doing. You'd want to impress them. Mm. That's that dynamic that's going on. And so it's hard to get out of the younger child. So you have to just kind of remo remove that. But remember, as the kids get older, it's going to e equalize out. Mm. It, it will. You know, by the time they're freshmen, sophomores in high school, it's going gonna, it's gonna to even out. Well, and I think even just talking with a child like you just did and breaking that down. Like it makes sense that you would want to be around them and you would want to impress them and yeah. what they're exactly. doing doesn't align with our family's values. So maybe we're going to choose. Anyway. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. If for instance, your first grader is in class with third graders, which is never a good idea. And the third grader is say, talking down to people or using a swear word. Okay. And your child comes home and said, well, you know, mom, these, you know, you find out this third grader is using a swear word. You always talk to the child to say in our family, we don't use that word. Because if you isolate the child and say, you kids can't use that word, but mom and dad can, well, that's not going to help. So whenever there's bad behaviors, your kids see, you always go back to nobody in our family does that. And then the child will go, okay, I guess I can do it if my siblings need to do it as well. We were very strict about how our kids talked, um, by the way, growing up. And because all six of us did it, it really wasn't that hard. Mm. Yeah. No, that's good advice. Like putting it in the context of this is our family culture. Exactly. Exactly. This is how our culture, and in our culture, this is our this family is culture yes. and school culture or soccer culture is going to be different. Yeah. And they're going to do things and say things and behave in certain ways that we don't agree with. So, you know, if somebody does something peculiar or that we don't agree with, let's talk to us about, talk to mom or dad about it. That's good. 
And two of the questions were about what we already talked about, the mm-hmm. coming, the being great at school and then losing it when they get home and after school meltdowns. And so I think we kind of covered that. Yeah. Before we have to go, I would like to know in this age group, as we parent them, you know, we've talked through keeping the schedule light and making sure, you know, you are having time to connect with them. And But what tips for this age group would you hope to give parents? Well, I would say, you know, again, read your child because all second graders are going to be very, very different. Some are going to be more precocious, particularly in your child's class. Some are going to be, believe it or not, watching R-rated movies and your child is watching G. And so you have to be very attentive to what are the maturity levers and the exposure levels of other kids in your child's class, particularly if your child's in a public school. Well, and if they're like the youngest of six kids and they have a, like in our family, my youngest saw movies. I was like, your older brother never would have saw this at the age of six. Never seen this. Yeah. And so if your child's in a public school, you push your way in to see what is being taught to your child because a lot of these kids are being are being traumatized. And so it's beyond their development. Whatever your views are on anything, just as a medical professional, this is beyond developmental awareness. Exactly. Cognitively, these kids can't help it. And parents are up in arms. And so I would tell parents, you know, from first grade on, you need to know what your kids are learning. And there are a lot of teachers that want, don't want to be teaching it, but they're pressured by the state. So if the teachers or they say, you can't see it, pull your kid out of school. I mean, you have to be that extreme with it because you talk about influences that are bad for kids. There's no way kids should be starting sex ed in second grade or fifth grade or eighth grade. That's a parent's job, period. Yeah. So that's a big battle for yeah. uh, parents with with. Um, School elementary kids, school age. elementary yes. school, yeah. and and that's why you as a parent need to advocate for your child that they are not pressured and they have breathing room and they're allowed to be a kid. Yeah, dress them like a kid. Don't dress them like a junior high kid. I see that all the time. Yeah, fourth and time. fifth graders coming in. You know, don't let them start wearing a bra in kindergarten. So look at your child and sort of say to yourself, Is this okay with me for second grade? Is this okay with me for my child in fifth grade? And if you think that your child's exposed or pushed beyond their level of maturity, it's your job to back them away because the culture is putting so much pressure on our kids to grow up fast. But so, then stay in adolescence till they're like 40. Oh, see, 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 <laughs> exactly. And that's so like grow up, but yeah. stay in the zone where stay, you do whatever yeah. you want. You don't have any consequences yeah. for and a that's long a, period that's of time. A, that's, a that's a whole, whole nother, nother. Dis- yeah. which would be a great show too, because yeah. there are ways you can avoid that. Certainly. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's wise, especially in these, like we're talking about with this elementary age, you know, Mm -hmm. and it becomes, I don't have a daughter, so, but I've heard it becomes hard to shop because then even the stores aren't selling. Cause I used to work at limited too, when I was in high school and we had cute girl, little girl clothes. And I'm kind of feeling that's not true anymore, but. Well, you need, I love uniforms. Yeah. I love uniforms. and It takes all of that pressure away. Kids don't focus on the clothes and they're covered from neck to knees. And that's what girls should be. They should be covered from neck to knees. And that's where you get in a private school, Christian school, Catholic school, even a secular private school. 
they're much more likely to have a solid dress code. And that's very, very good for kids. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So before we go, I do want to talk about, you have a very exciting thing happening. One of your books is now a film. Yes. Strong fathers, strong daughters. Talk to me about that. Oh, I'm so excited about it. First of all, this was totally a God thing. Yeah. I didn't ask for it. I wrote Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters a number of years ago because I was fought, I was tired of fathers being bashed. Yeah. And they're mostly being bashed by women. I said, this is not okay because daughters yeah. need their dads. Our our my husband was very close to our daughters. They have a huge influence. So I wrote the book and boom, it hit. And I thought, this is peculiar. <laughs> not peculiar, but you never know. You, you know? don't know. No, yeah. you don't know. If God just went, and it globally was just a, a big thing. So Pure Flix came along. I'm a Christian. Everything in the book is biblically based. My deal with my publisher, who's secular, I said, every time I write a book, I'm going to have a chapter on faith, teaching kids a Christian faith. Okay, that's fine. And so it was all in biblical principle. Well, Pure Flix came along and said, you know, we like this idea. And they bought it seven years ago. And I thought, what? yeah, 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 yeah. They seven contracted with my public publisher seven years ago. And then I just written a whole, not written, but I videotaped a series going through my Strong Father, Strong Daughters book, videotaping on here, dads, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do, chapter by chapter. And that's on my website. A month after that came out, Pure Flix brought the movie out. I mean, talk about a God thing. So it's a great movie. They did a great job. Like I said, I don't own the movie, you know. It, it, so is it so a I, dramatization? Like it's a story? It's a story. It's okay. a story about a very wealthy, and here's Pure Flix is Christian. Yeah. Which was very important to me. I, I There's, yeah. So um, <laughs> it's about a dad who was, is very wealthy and has three daughters and his sends his oldest daughter to business school so she can come home and work in his business and make a lot of money. And she comes home and goes, um, that's not really what I want to do, Dad. And he kind of freaks out. And then the middle daughter is, you know, tattooing and going crazy and going to wild parties. And he's like, I don't know how to handle this. Well, throughout the story, he learns how to handle it with the guidance of a, a, a very Christian man who, who kind of helps him through. And it really, it's, it's fun. It's not overly dramatic. It's not cheesy. It's just a real uplifting movie. And I would really encourage mothers to watch it. And mm. here's why I think it's good for us mothers, because we need to know how to help our husbands be better parents. Yeah. And a lot of times we sabotage. I did it. Oh, yeah. I did a terrible with my daughter and I didn't know I was doing it. So Christian women sit down and watch the movie and put yourself in the place of the mother because she responds very well to her husband. She doesn't, you know, she's very, very good. It's um, Robin Lively, Blake Lively's sister. Oh. And it's, it's just a great, it's just a great movie. And it's only been out for two weeks. So, so exciting. Mm -hmm. So wait, what ways do you feel like women sabotage their husbands? Our tone of voice. Tone of voice. Okay. This is classic what I would do. Okay. And I, you don't even realize you're doing it. My husband would be having conversation with one or two of our girls, kind of a serious conversation. And I'd be in the other room and I'd be listening to him, talking to him. And I'd go, no, no, no. That's not how you talk to girls. I would <laughs> swoop in and I would take over. I would sort of mm. de 
carve my husband out of that thing and I'd start to talk to them the way I knew girls need to be talked to. And that sabotages them. Another thing that mothers do very frequently, I hear from my patients, you know, girls in junior high will want to dress like their friends in very skimpy clothes. She'll be going out to school and dad will look and go, no, 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 you're not going to, you're not going to go to school looking like that. And mom will run in and go, you just don't understand. That's, that's the way girls dress. She wants to fit in with her peers. Let dad say no and make <laughs> yeah. her change her clothes. As a mom to boys, let dad yes, say. Dad, Exactly. <laughs> yes. So whenever we disagree with our husbands, we swoop in yeah. and we've got to learn to stay. If our husbands aren't being abusive or cruel or mean, let them influence our kids because if we don't, then what we're going to do is complain that they're never engaged. Yeah. We so, then cut them off at the knees. Yeah. Exactly. We're like, we said, we're like be involved, ever... but not like that. But exactly. Exactly. And <laughs> let so me micromanage everyone. Let me like do. a puppeteer. <laughs> oh, we are just, we're just so bossy. Well, because we're it's such... all up to us. We just it's said at the up... beginning. Exactly. So of of yeah, course we, we're going to micromanage yeah. because it reflects yeah. on me ultimately. Yeah. Who but but I but it's the blame on the what news. We can, what we can <laughs> learn to do is if we see our husband doing something that that is not bad, leave him alone. Yeah. You know, or my son-in-law reprimanded me a couple weeks ago, which is weird. But anyway, <laughs> um my my a granddaughter from my other son-in-law was talking to me and we were doing something, and she started to cry. Oh. And her dad, who is not my other's, reached down to pick her up and she looked at me. So I said, and I picked her up and my other son-in-law said, don't ever do that because what you're teaching your granddaughter is you are more comforting than her father. Mm. Things like that, you know, because, because I picked, I picked her up more frequently and my maternal grandmother instinct was, oh, to soothe her better than her dad. And so she gets that and he gets that. And my son-in-law very wisely said, please don't ever do that again. And I went, gulp. He was right. <laughs> he was right. This yeah. That needs to be a whole episode too, being a grandmother. Oh, it's in the so, midst. it is so fun. It is so fun. So whenever you- hard. I mean, there's boundaries and it's a hard role to be oh, in. It is very hard. Oh, yeah. That is a That's whole nother show episode, because, but, because there are grandmother rules. There are yeah. grandmother rules because first and foremost, these are not our children. Yeah. They're your kids. Yeah. And that's hard for us to accept. But in order to see our kids, we need to do things your way. So anyway, that's a whole nother show. Well, I do appreciate you coming on. And I do hope listeners connect with you and your show, Parenting Great Kids. And we'll put all the links in the show notes. Y'all check out the movie, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And thank you, Meg. It was so good to be with you finally all these years. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, kids are what I love. And, and I realized a long time ago, I want to help the kids, got to help their moms. And so yeah. I love encouraging moms, even just to st keep standing up. Yep. It's okay. Get keep through going. the day. Get through the day. Keep going. Keep going. Yes. Yes. Well, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. So a few questions we have for our podcast club members that I was just going to share with y'all. Um, what factors do you consider when you think about shaping your child's self-esteem? And if you could solidify one aspect of your child's identity, what would it be and why? Think what is one way they could answer the question, who am I? 
And I'm going to pray for us as we process all that Dr. Meeker shared. Lord, I thank you that you have chosen us to be the stewards of your children. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that we would listen to wise advice and counsel, but ultimately that your spirit would guide us, that you would let us know what is for us and what is not for us. That as we go throughout our journey, and there's so many different choices to be made on where our kids go to school and how we, whether we homeschool or public or private or where we have um, decided and when we've decided to involve ourselves in different activities, that you would be the guide, that you would give us discernment to know these things that as I read today, your word would be that lamp, your word would light the path, that we would be in line with what you've already decided is wisdom and that would matter most to us, that we would be surrendered to you as a good God and worry less about lining up with a cultural um, formula that makes us feel like good parents. Lord, I pray that you would guide the mom or dad listening today, that they would feel your presence and comfort. And if there's any condemnation that's coming in from that's not from your, you or that's not your voice, Lord, that, that that would be clear. And I pray for communities where these things could be discussed and that you would come alongside parents, that they would be encouraged by you and that you see them and your identity, their identity in you is firm and secure and that they are loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all. So we're going to take a pause on the Ages and Stages series because I uh, have a really special episode for next week discussing middle motherhood. This season when possibly you have stepped away from a career and you've chosen to stay at home for a season and now you're finding your youngest is off to school and you're wondering what's next. I am inviting um, a special life coach on the show to talk through middle motherhood is what she calls it. So join me here next week. And if you want to make sure you get a note from me every Monday where I just share my heart with you and what I'm loving um, and always a link to this sh- the newest show, you can just sign up at olaheather.com, olaheather.com. They both start with H's. All right. Thanks so much. I'll see you back here next week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3:17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.